in this sin-killing planet we live on. This hope causes us to press on and endure despite our circumstances. And then, third, we find in our section here that's introduced in verse 28, our hope is in God's sovereign purposes for his own glory, in his plan for each person. This is the hope that Zach had in this video. It is a hope that trusts that God is God. He is over all. He knows what's best. It is a hope that sees God's sovereign control as a blessing, not a burden. Today, I want to examine this one verse so that everyone in here will leave trusting in God more, even despite your circumstances. I pray this hope will build, will grow within you. Your confidence in the Creator will grow, and you will see God for who He is, the one who is in control of everything, and you can trust Him. Again, Romans 8.28 says, And we know God, or that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Today, we see we must have, and you can get this, a confidence in our sovereign Lord that will sustain us no matter what we face. Let's look at four amazing truths concerning God's control revealed in this passage. First, the first truth is God's control is tied to the believer's hope of glory. It's at the very beginning of the verse. The verse starts with the word and. Usually if you start a verse with and, then it's tied to something previously. And in this case, it's the hope that's mentioned of the Spirit's work. God's control, his sovereignty, is tied to our hope of glory. This means that the verse is tied to God's work of a, that will be accomplished because the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. The promise that God will work everything together is our hope of glory to come. And it's tied together. God's control is tied to the believer's hope and glory. Second notice, the believers already have a knowledge of that God is in control. This is very interesting. It says, and we know. This is based on a firsthand objective knowledge. That is, the people get it. They already understand it. The Roman Christians know that God is in control. And we do too, if we're really honest. If we're really honest with ourselves, if we're a believer, we ultimately know God is in control. This little phrase assumes the Romans already know it. How do the Christians in Rome know that God causes all things to work together? Well, it's not because of subject, sub, subjective wishing. It's not a, a, a wish. Oh, I hope God's in control of this. Now, you say that sounds crazy. But there is actually doctrine out there that promotes this now, where God might be caught off guard, that something might trip God up. He has many other options and He's not sure what's going to happen around the corner. That's not what believers believe. 
they don't believe in myths like evolution, that everything is just evolving over time. We know God is in control. God is sovereign. And why do we know it? Because the Bible says it. The Bible is very clear. Look at Deuteronomy 8, too. It's all the way through. You shall remember all the ways which the Lord your God has led you in the wilderness these 40 years. That he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. He humbled you, let you be hungry, fed you with manna, which you did not know nor did you, your fathers, know that he might make you understand that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by everything that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. We have what we have because God gave it to us. It's the same way with them. He's showing them and was showing them he is in control. And it's all the way through Scripture. God has already shown this to the Roman Christians. God has shown it to us, too. He is in control. We know God is in control. Or, you know, if we didn't know that God was in control, we wouldn't pray. Now, think about this. If God was not in complete control, then how would we know that he would answer our prayers? He has to be in control. Or otherwise, when we petition, he could not move. He's in control. The problem is for all believers is we forget that God is in control. We forget. We also we compartmentalize a big word. Compartmentalize. We we say, well, God's in control of this area, but not that area. We know, but we get caught up in this self, and we forget. We get caught up in the idea that God can't be... He's only in control of the good things that happen to me. So what is the option then? We're saying, okay, so Satan's in control of all the bad things that happen to you? So God can't handle Satan? God has to be in control of Satan too. He has to allow certain circumstances. Otherwise, folks, our lives are... a A random chance of, oh, this might happen or it might be good. We know that God is in control. He's in control of Satan. Again, as I mentioned, this is my favorite verse in the Bible. And I know it's true. But I also forget the truth when various events happen in my life. When the boy spill a cup of milk all over the floor. What do I think? Why did you do that? I don't think, oh, God, this is an opportunity to glorify you. <laughs> you allowed the milk to spill. Or when my, my wife misunderstands me. How could you misunderstand me? Come on. How about God allowed her to misunderstand me so that I could show love to her in the circumstance? Or one of you gets upset at me and says something that offends me. I can't believe that person said that to me. I love them so much. But God's in control of that too. 
He allowed the events to happen. Otherwise, this verse is not true. And it's true. And God is true. I forget this verse. I know it's true, but I stopped trusting the truth at that moment. This is why to preach on this scripture numerous times would probably be good over the years. I will come back to it. Though we've already gone through Romans on Wednesday night, we might go through it again one year. (laughs) It's important to hear it. The third truth is God, God is in control of all things, and he is working all things together for good. God causes all things to work together for good. There is some debate on how this passage should be worded whether God should be the subject or all things should be the subject of the main verb. But that means the same thing. Either way, it comes down that God is working all things together for good. The idea is God is in control. Just a couple of ideas here. Look at them that are revealed in just this little phrase. Maybe one of the most staggering summaries of the entire world is found in that one little phrase. God causes all things to work together for good. All things? Look at these. First, God is, God's control is exhaustive. <laughs> he is working in everything. Ready? He's working in that. I picked it up. He worked. I flipped the sheet, the thing. He worked. He's working in all events, everything. God causes all things to work together. Job losses, deaths of loved ones, cancer, money problems, health issues, suffering, discipline issues with children, persecution. All things means all things. And God is causing all things to work together. God's control is exhaustive. Second, God's control is continuous. It's continuous. The way this could be translated, it is working continually. He is continually working together. God, listen folks doesn't take a break for a second. (laughs) It doesn't stop for one minute. How important is this? It is extremely important. You're driving along. I'll never forget the day that I drove up on Brenda. It was a night service up in North Carolina. Car accident. She had gone home to take them, and she had pulled out, and a car had... Boy, or hit the front of the van, and Andrew was in the car with just her. I drove up on it, and I saw it, and I thought, oh, no, what's happened? I'll never forget. Those were some of the moments where I just saw the marvel of our God. Because at the moment, I thought, this is tragic. But God caused even that tragedy to work together for good. And the amazingness of knowing that God had the car hit just in front 
of her. Not right on her. Just in front. And she was protected, but he had to be in control of every second. If he was control, not in control of every minute and continuously working, she could have gone to be with him at that moment. Just so you know, if he would have worked at that moment for her to go to be with him, he still would have been in control. God is in control continuously. So no matter what happens in Myanmar, it's part of God's plan. And we trust him because this verse says that. God causes all things to work together for good. Now, God's control is for good. Let me ask you a question. Is God's definition of good... Our definition of good, (laughs) not always. Often, we don't understand God's definition of good. When the kid spells the milk, I don't see how that's good. (laughs) When the changer doesn't work, I don't see how that is good. But God knows. Good is defined by God, not how the world defines good. The world says good is wealth, health, and happiness. The world says money, property, power, that's what's good. The world defines good in terms of temporal things, things that die and go away. God defines good as salvation for sinners. Did you hear that? God defines good as salvation for sinners. God includes all, good includes rather, all of the aspects of salvation that were declared right. Good includes us becoming like his son. Good includes going to glory. That is good. And God is working all things together for our good, for us to be right with God, to be set apart with God, and to go to God one day. If you notice in verse 29, look, it's developed in verse 29. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. What is good? What is good? This is good. All events are being worked together So that I will be like Jesus Christ. So that you will be like Jesus Christ. All the events that happen in your life are to God is working so that you will become more like his son. That is good. Even if it includes suffering. You saw it in Zach in the video, didn't you? Despite the hardships, despite the problems... He said, God is good. And he was thankful. He said, I became a better father. I became a better husband. Why? Because events like this cause you to rely upon God and you become more and more like his son. That is the point. All events God causes to work together for good, so that we will be like his son. Good can be defined as this. 
what helps God's own know him and become like his son and delight in him alone. That is what is good. Good is sometimes unseen and thus unrecognized until final glory. But this is a promise. God is working all things together for good for his own. Let me illustrate this. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have siblings? Most of you, right? Have you ever gotten je- have they ever gotten jealous of you? Maybe or they've done something to hurt you? Would you say the events of their jealousy and hatred were part of the all things working together for good? If your sibling treated you bad, would you say, well, God was still in control of that event? Would you? If your brother, Andrew, whacks you, would you say God is working all those things together for good? Didn't seem like it, does it? How about this one? Have you ever been mistreated violently by somebody? Somebody's hurt you physically or mistreated you in a way that you know was against God's Bible. In other words, you knew that they were going against the Bible and His Word. Would you say that this event was part of the all things working together for good? If somebody did sin against you, would you say that all that was working together for good too? How about this one? Have you ever been thrown into jail for something you did not do? Or maybe you were given a ticket or accused of something you really didn't do. Would you say that those events were part of the all things working together for good? Would you? Here's another one. Have you ever been lied to? (laughs) Or maybe someone made a promise to you and then didn't keep it. Would you say that these events were part of the all things working together for good? How about this? You just heard Joseph's life. (laughs) Read Joseph's life. All those things happened to Joseph. Remember his brothers were rude to him. They were hated him. They were jealous of him. They threw him in a hole. They sold him into slavery. He was in slavery, worked real hard, and then was falsely accused, thrown in jail. (laughs) Thrown in jail, stayed in jail for a long time, and then doesn't a miracle because God works him and they forget about him. And he stays in jail longer. So how does Joseph describe his life? Genesis 50, verse 20. Look. He's talking to his brothers. His brothers are before him. They're afraid he's going to do something to them. And he says to them, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it. Good, in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. God works all things together for good. But a warning for all of us. This does not mean that the people who do evil aren't responsible for their actions and aren't going to be held to responsible. We're still going to be held responsible for our actions. God is in control and he's working through even sin. But we're still going to be held responsible. 
The greatest demonstration of this is in Acts chapter 2. Peter is speaking to the ones that had killed Jesus Christ. And he says these words. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Did you see that? Look at that. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. Greatest sin ever accomplished, right? Killing of Jesus, the innocent one. Predetermined plan of God, right? Notice, though, you nailed to a cross. <laughs> you did it. You're responsible. Both are true. God is working, but man is held responsible for their actions that they do. This is how God is. He's in control of all things. He's working all things together for good. The death of Jesus was the predetermined plan of God. Yet people are held responsible for doing the acts. You nailed him to the cross. Again, why is this so significant for the believer to know? Because we live in a sin-filled world, folks. In Romans 8, why is he bringing this up? Why is this so important? Here's why. Because... God has to be in control or we have no guarantee of heaven. We have no guarantee of glory if God is not in control. We have no hope if God is not in control. If we think for one minute that sin can separate us from the sovereign promises of God, then we'll fall away. Our glorification is not based on our circumstances. Going to heaven is not based on our own sins. Our right standing with God is sure. And we are in the palm of God's hand and we cannot be taken out. Because God causes all things to work together for good. This is found in the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-sovereign God. Which brings us to the fourth and final point. God is working all things for good for his own children. So who does this promise apply to? Is it for everyone? Is God working all things together for good for everyone? No. That's not what the verse says. The verse says to those who are loving God. It's for the ones that are right with God, that have been changed within, and that their hearts are for God's glory, and they love Him with their heart, soul, and mind. Directionally, not perfectionally. That is, that's the direction of their life, to love Him with all their soul, all their heart, and all their mind. Not perfect, but constantly loving Him. Let me warn you that this verse does not mean that your love for God is what earns God's favor to work things together. 
In other words, okay, if I love God, now he's going to cause this to work together for good. But if I don't love him and I don't do this action and that action, then he's not going to love me. No, that misses the point. And Paul intentionally clarifies in the next phrase so that you don't think that it's because of you (laughs) and it's because of your merit and your own efforts. He says this, to those who are called according to his purpose. This calling is God's effectual call. That's a big word, effectual. You might want to spell that one. Effectual call, not his general call. For example, the deaf today played a song, Come, come, all that want to worship God, in a sense. That is called a general call. If I said to you, and I said it last week, repent and believe in Jesus, that is the general call to everybody. God works through us to generally call people. I call people to repent of their sins and trust in Jesus all the time. But this is not that verse. That's not what this calling is about. This is a supernatural calling. This is a godlike calling. This is a calling that takes the words of God and works to transform the heart. It's effectual. It works. God, if you are a believer, it's because God effectually worked in your heart. You're here because God worked in your heart. You believe in him because God worked in your heart. So again, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and those who God has worked in their hearts. Again, it's all about grace. John 6.37 develops this. Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will Come to me, and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. If God the Father gives one to the Son, they will come, because they're effectually called. That's his purpose. We're called according to his purpose. This is further explained in the next verse, but we're not going to get into that. So our hope, again, is found in the grace of God, both in our initial calling and in our eventual glorification all the way to heaven. It is God's grace that causes believers to trust in him. It is his grace that works within our lives to make us like his son. All these truths remind us that God is causing all things to work together for good to all of us who are God's chosen, no matter what happens in Myanmar. No matter what happens in your life, no matter where you are, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God is causing all things to work together for good. So back to Zach Smith. How does the story end? It ends in good news. Great news. Amazing news. On May 16th, 2010, Zach Smith died and went to be with his creator. And God 
caused all things to work together for good. This is the hope of the believer. God is what we are about. Being with Him is what it's all about. Being satisfied with the Creator, that is what we are made to do. Becoming like His Son, that's what it's about. It reminds me of a song. I don't know if we're going to get it. We got it. Wow, good. We'll put the words up on the screen. You can go ahead and flip over. It's a Stephen Curtis Chapman song. It's an excellent song. For the deaf, I put the word, we put the words up here so you can see it. And I'm just going to listen. I want you to think on this and meditate and read the words. And think about what he's saying. When he, say, when he says, and the title of the phrase is, God is God. What does that mean? God is God? Well, of course he's God. What does God mean? The, the title, the name. God means he's the controller, the creator, the sustainer. God is God, and I am not. Go ahead. This is the message we need bring to Myanmar. I can't wait to go preach it. I can't wait to tell a people that we're lost in liberalism of the great truth of the creator God that's in control of everything. God is God, and I am not. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for revealing to us that you are God you are in control. Oh God, help us to trust you. We're weak people, prone to forget this truth. God, please help us to constantly be reminded of your sovereignty. Thank you, Father commit this day to you, knowing that you are Lord over it. Use us for your glory, God. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Tonight again, we'll do our prayer service and seek the Creator to bless our trip and protect you as y'all stay. We have several great guys lined up to teach. You are in for a treat, uh, much better than me. So I think you will think you will enjoy it. Next week, Ryan's going. The following week, Ronaldo is going to teach in the hearing service. I want him to do a little bit of both. Uh, hopefully, somebody's going to record it. <laughs> and then uh, also, the, the last week, Daniel will teach for us. So I'm going to be away for three weeks. I'm very much going to miss you guys, but please pray for us, okay? Thank you. You're dismissed.
33 years old. I've been married to my beautiful wife, Mandy, for 11 years. We have three children, Lizzie, Jake, and Luke. And this is my story. I met Jesus when I was five years old. I grew up as a son of missionary parents in Ecuador, where I lived for 15 years. I went to college in Arizona, where I met my wife. For the next 10 years, we traveled around while I worked in the information technology field. We served in our local church, and I attended seminary. I often thought about working in full-time ministry, but no opportunities seemed right. I was told about a job here at New Spring Church helping with information technology. It was perfect, an IT job at an amazing church. I took the job and started working in October of 2008. For several months, life was very good and we were very happy. In May of 2009, at age 32, I was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer. Immediately, I had surgery to remove a foot and a half of my large intestine and a lemon-sized tumor. I was told the cancer had spread to my spleen and to my liver. Chemotherapy was on the horizon. This was all a very sudden shock to me. I had always been very healthy, and I found myself very confused. Why did I have cancer? Had I done something wrong to cause it? Was this a result of many years of sinful living in my past? I was working at a church and serving God. Where did I go wrong? But thankfully, the confusion quickly turned to hope. I knew that God had a plan for my life. I did not understand why I had cancer, but I knew that God was in charge. For three months, I underwent a horrible chemo regimen. Afterwards, I had a scan done, and the results were great. There was no cancer found in my body. We celebrated God's healing and God's faithfulness. And the next few weeks of my life were some of the best as I celebrated being cancer-free. But another scan one month later showed that the cancer had reappeared, this time in my abdominal cavity. I was devastated. Why was it back? Everything was just starting to make sense, but the reoccurrence of cancer caused even greater confusion. I resumed chemotherapy and did more tests. The cancer is now growing and getting worse. Unfortunately, the chemo drugs are no longer effective in my abdomen, and surgery is not an option due to the degraded state of my liver. Medically speaking, there is nothing more for me, and medically speaking, I probably will not live to 2011. The Bible says in Matthew 7:11 that God gives good things to those who ask. God cannot give me a bad gift, and it is through that lens that I can say that cancer is the best thing that has ever happened to me. I am a better husband and a better dad, a better boss and a better employee, a better friend and a better follower of Jesus. And through cancer, God has shown me some amazing things about himself. Those are indeed great gifts. I still have questions about cancer, why it went away and why it came back. I do not understand, but I know that God is in charge. I am praying for God to heal me. That is my desire. I want to walk my daughter Lizzie down the aisle. I want to watch my sons, Jake and Luke, become men. I want to grow old with Mandy, and I want to live my life with my friends here at work. But I may not be able to work for very much longer, and I may have just celebrated my last Christmas with my family.
This I do know. If God chooses to heal me, then God is God and God is good. If God chooses not to heal me and allows me to die, God is still God and God is still good. To God be the glory.